Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Mystery author Becky Clark's cosy mysteries tease and entertain with subtly dropped clues, masterly red herrings, and lashings of humour, much of it poked at the publishing world she loves. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Becky talks about the value of networking, her fascination with the condition known as synesthesia, and how being number seven in a family of eight influences her writing. But before we get to Becky, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to everything we discussed today, as well as to Becky's books and website, and details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Becky. Hello there, Becky, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's so great to be here. It's exciting. This is my very first podcast. Oh, that's wonderful. Look, I always start with this question. It's very predictable, but I love the answers that I get from it. Was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you must write fiction or your life hadn't achieved its purpose? And if so, was there a catalyst for it? Hmm. Um, Nothing that I would have felt like I let myself down, but I definitely would have let my son down because he was the one who challenged me to start writing novels. Hmm. And was this when he was an adult or a child? No, he was a kid. He's grown now, but he was about uh, like 10-ish. And we were at the library. He was a voracious reader. And he uh, couldn't find, we couldn't find any more historical fiction, which is what he was involved in at the time. Um, He'd read everything they had at at the library. And so we're walking out of the library and he says, well, mom, why don't you just write one? (laughs) 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 and because of course I don't deny my children anything I said well of course dear let me just do that (laughs) and you know long story short took a long time but um but I did that was my first book it was historical fiction for boys um you'll never find it so don't try looking for it (laughs) but um I mean it was it was a great little book and it was a really good um proving ground to see that I could do it and that it was a fun process and uh and, uh, you know, I'm glad he challenged me, but it never really occurred to me to be a writer until then. So that's, that raises a couple of very interesting follow-up questions. One of them is, why did he think you could do it? You obviously <laughs> encouraged him to read a lot. And secondly, I'm so interested that it was historical because you, you aren't going the historical way at all at the moment, are you? So that's, no. that's an interesting thing. Yeah, um, historical fiction uh, I don't know. It just seemed interesting to me. And that's what he, you know, that's how it all started. So, um, this person was a historical fiction for kids set in the civil war. And, um, what was the first question? Um, why did he think you could write a book? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure he still thinks that, but, um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I mean, we are big, big readers. And I had written some stuff, just not novels. I had written um, 
Oh, like uh, personal essays, you know, Irma Bombeck type essays, oh, yes. um, yep. you know, funny yes. slice of life type, yeah. type things and um, those kinds of things. And uh, I don't know, maybe he was just <laughs> trying to get me off his back. If if mom's busy writing a novel, she won't make me clean my room or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Well, now you've written four cozy mysteries. That, that's what I know of in terms of your output. The first two co-authored by another author, Ted Hardcastle, and then the last two under your own byline. And they they sort of are almost paired off that they each have different protagonist characters. Is there a story between how that split happened and how did you first get working with Ted Hardcastle? Well, it's actually Ted Hardwick. Oh, sorry. Um, he and I, Hardwick, sorry. He and I have been friends since college you know, a thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he was very funny. And I wanted to transfer, you know, um, from the world of writing for kids, because that's really hard. You know, it's really, uh, writing for kids is easy, but selling kids books is hard because kids don't have the money. (laughs) So you have to find the adults in their life to, you know, to, to make those deals. Um, so that was kind of taking his toll on me and, and I, and I kind of have a potty mouth, so it's a lot easier to write for adults than to write for kids. And, um, so I just thought it would be fun to write with Ted. He's very, very funny. And, um, and it was, it was a ton of fun, but it was hard to do it long distance. He's in California. I'm in Colorado. Um, so after the two books, uh, Banana Bamboozle and Marshmallow Mayhem, I got the contract for my mystery writer's mysteries, the fiction can be murder and foul play on words. Um, so I just kind of switched my attention to them, but the, the cozy, the, you know, I write funny. I like, I like to read funny books and I'm kind of a goofball. So the funny kind of comes naturally and cozy mysteries are kind of how a, a good place to show that, um, that humor in writing, you know, you can't do that in thrillers so much. I mean, there's, there's humor in every book, of course, but you know, thrillers aren't particularly funny. Um, you know, kids books, if you want to be funny in kids books, you got to do a lot of fart jokes and, you know, uh, while I can do some pretty good fart jokes, it's not really my forte. (laughs) So, so it just kind of evolved, um, naturally with my, um, you know, my kids grew and my interests changed. And, uh, and, you know, I think your writing evolves like that. Um, if you're lucky anyway. Yes. Yeah. Just, just flicking back to the historical for a moment. Did you just do the one or did, did you do a few? No, I just did the one. I have some other, I have some other kid books in the drawer, um, that I might go back to cause they're a lot of fun. And now it's so much easier to you know, to self-publish fun, quick things, you know, just to get them out into the world. Because I, I really think I, I have some things that kids would like. I just don't want to go through the business part of writing for kids. The writing, writing part for kids is fun. <laughs> but the, you know, the business part is much more difficult. So I do have some things that I might go back to. But um, but that was really the only historical one that, that I that I did. A lot of research, you know, it's, it's time consuming to write good history stuff. Yeah. Um, you'd be doing a public service, though, writing for boys, I think, because perhaps not so much now, but in, in previous years, there really was a dearth of really good material for boys, wasn't there? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't, And I don't know. I haven't really kept my finger on the pulse of the, of 
the uh, demographics now in the industry and the children's world. But I think you're probably still right because it's hard for boys to be interested in reading. Look, your most recent two, you've mentioned their names. Fiction Can Be Murder, I think, is the most recent. And they feature Charlemagne or Charlie Russo, who also happens to be a mystery author. And they're both very much plotted around writing and other authors. The first one, I mean, Fiction Can Be Murder, the murder happens to be exactly the the plot line um method that she'd used in her most recent book and it's her agent who's murdered so I sort of get the feeling that you get a lot of you know wicked joy out of getting all these authors involved in nasty business (laughs) it is funny and I do I really 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 want to thank my own agent for being cool with the murder of the agent because (laughs) that was that was okay with her so that made me feel better <laughs> very cool publishing uh, partners for this one because I do you know we do talk about the publishing world maybe not in the best light but it is fun you know I like uh, I, I like authors and I like the writing world and I think people would appreciate knowing you know seeing that you know the behind the curtain kind of stories yes that's right and we won't give any spoilers but but the writers are involved right through to the very end, hint, hint. So, yeah. <laughs> and in that other one, Foul Play on Words, the action centres around a writer's conference. Um, and I get the feeling that you probably do do quite a lot of networking with other writers. Do you use a critique group, for example, yourself? Um, at this moment, I don't have a critique group, um, but I did for years. Uh, now I kind of use, I kind of have some trusted uh, first readers and my agent reads my stuff early on um, because I, I need it fast. And, uh, you know, when you go to a critique group, that's a very slow process. And I don't have time to read everybody else's stuff. Yeah. You know? So yeah. It's, yeah. it's very time consuming to yeah. do that. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do have a lot of writers. Um, well, I, I want to say that probably all my friends are writers at this point. I've been in the you know in, the, in this world for so long. I mean, that historical fiction for kids came out in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. So I've been kicking around in the Colorado writing community for kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. So one reviewer described you as the queen of the subtle misdirect and the casually dropped clue. I think both of those are actually really amazing skills to develop to do the casual misdirect or the casually dropped clue and it it looks easy when it's just popped into that manuscript but it it isn't easy and also writing funny books is quite hard work isn't it oh my god it's so hard (laughs) (laughs) everything about it is hard (laughs) you know um Writing any kind of book is hard work. You know, you have to uh, be very disciplined and um, and then you add a layer of something on that, like, you know, history or humor or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And um, and that just makes it even more difficult. And for me, there's no way I could do any of that without outlining. I get the basic story down um, in the first draft and then I can layer in some humor. And, you know, humor... <laughs> Humor is very subjective, um, which makes it hard also. Things that I think are absolutely hilarious sometimes aren't. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, things that I don't find funny that that I didn't intend on being funny. People say, oh, my God, I love that scene. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, you know, you do, you, you kind of lose perspective as to, well, you know, what is funny and what is not. And, you know, but as far as actually physically getting the words, you know, all 75,000 of those words down, um, it's hard. It's, it's hard mentally. It's hard physically. And, uh, but I love doing it for some stupid reason. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Do you receive any feedback on the fact that you're an American writer and just, does your humor, do English people get it? Or I'm more thinking when you're writing it, are you thinking of your audience as being an international one and thinking, oh, that might be a little bit too regional or a little bit too local for them to understand? Do you have to kind of make those sorts of judgments? Well, that's adorable that you say that because it never even occurs to me that anybody's ever going to read my books. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's a miracle to me that stuff can come out of my brain and my fingers and then go out into the world like this. I, if I, I think if I thought about it too hard, I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that uh, cozy mysteries are pretty universal, you know, because they're, they're character driven. They're not necessarily plot driven. There's a lot of suspension of disbelief in cozy mysteries, you know, an amateur sleuth who the world, who in the world goes to investigate some murder of a friend every six weeks. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. That much. So there's a, there's a huge amount of suspension of disbelief with the readers. And um, so I don't really worry about that too much. And if, you know, I have editors in New York city and I'm in the, in a small town in Colorado and they might say, what in the world are you talking about? They might have no idea. Um, you know, some thing I talk about, I, I can't even give you an example, but, <clears throat> but then they will call me on some of those, some of those things, but I've never had anybody say, um, you know, you're, you're too foreign because <laughs> I'm about as white bread as they come. In the world. <laughs> yeah, I must say that as a, as a New Zealand reader, they're perfectly funny to me. So I, I, but I know there is a difference between the American and, and English sense of humour. The English tend to be more ironic, but you've got a degree yeah. of irony in your work anyway, haven't you? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and I did get it. I did. My friend of mine, I was an exchange student in England when I was in college. And then um, coincidentally, just this morning, this uh, friend of mine from that time period um, just finished reading the book, reading Foul Play on Words. And um and he liked it, so I don't know if it's because he loves me or if it's because <laughs> it was really good. I don't know. You never know that. But maybe <laughs> your time in England made you a little bit more um, just generally aware of what, how the English think as well. <laughs> oh, that's entirely possible, sure. Yeah. yeah. Look, you blame your place as number seven in a family of eight as turning you into a shameless attention seeker. And I know you also have very good reps for your public speaking, so I wondered if the two things were linked. Well, perhaps um, I, you know, I, I don't, I do like um, speaking in groups, you know, to two different groups, you know, kids, adults, it doesn't matter. Um, I am different from a lot of writers in that I don't mind at all talking about myself or my books or my rash or that humiliating thing that happened when I was a kid. I mean, I just don't care. I'm a completely open book. Um, much to the chagrin of my family, who is, you know, not necessarily likely. But I think it is true that when you're the seventh of eight kids, you got to do something to stand out. You know, my younger sister is very, um, 
very quiet and, and, you know, grown up, unlike me. And, but that's because she always had that cute littlest kid role, you know? So um, I didn't have that. (laughs) You know, there's five girls and three boys. So it's not like I could have been the only girl or, you know, so that's kind of what I decided to do, I guess, was um, (laughs) be a shameless attention seeker. (laughs) (laughs) It's worked out okay, mostly. That does bring us very nicely to another aspect of your life, which you have talked about, a personal aspect which you've talked about on your website, and that is synesthesia. And you you say that you have this a condition, or I'm not sure what you'd say, a gift yourself, and you wrote about it in no, the no, blog no, no, post. No, 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 I, I don't have synesthesia. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood that. Uh, that. Yeah, that article, um, there's a blog post called What Color Is Your Alphabet? Yes, that's right. Um, that's not me. That was written by somebody else. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. Um, no, I've, I, I've been fascinated by this condition for uh, for so long, and I wish that I could experience it myself. Um, synesthesia is where your senses get all crossed up, so you might taste emotions, or you'll see a colored alphabet, or you'll physically feel music. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of anesthesia, where you don't feel anything. Yeah. You have no senses. Um, and one thing that especially interests interests me about it is that quite often people don't even realize that they have this condition that they that they they don't even realize they see the world so differently from other people, um, which I find absolutely fascinating because it never comes up. Yeah, it just doesn't come up. Um, usually, um, synesthetes find out as adults that they have this condition. Um, but sometimes they find out when they're like in the kindergarten, preschool age where they're, remember those wooden alphabet blocks where the letters are all painted in different colors? Mm-hmm. They'll be playing with those blocks and the kid will say, the letter A isn't red, it's blue. And nobody knows what they're talking about because they're looking at this wooden block and they see the letter A is red. Mm-hmm painted red on the block. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then, you know, it, it kind of brings up these, these questions. And then this, um, and that's how, if you find out when you're young, that's usually how you find out. Mostly these people don't find out until they're adults. And, um, and at the same kind of casually dropped statement about something. And then, you know, the friend they'll be walking with will say, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they'll have to explain, well, don't you see, a calendar in the air in front of you, <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and they'll just have to explain, uh, no, I don't. And please explain. And, um, and I, I find that absolutely fascinating. That whole, um, everything about synesthesia, I find fascinating. It's really interesting. I wondered if you'd ever considered having a synesthetic protagonist. Yeah, I've, um, I'm, I'm really, really trying, um, I've written a couple of young adult manuscripts with a synesthetic main character, but I just don't feel I've done it justice yet. I want it to be much better than it is. Um, I want people to to be as fascinated by this as I do and, and, and to not think it's weird, but to think it's magical almost. And um, so I'm definitely going to go back and work on those. Um, at some point in the future, because I love to read books where authors have 
special insights into these different conditions, uh, you know, autism or, um, you know, any, even, you know, just medical conditions, diabetes or, you know, anything, but, um, Mm -hmm. that I don't have. Yeah. And, um, but I don't have that, um, personal insight yet. I have to rely on the synesthetic people I've met over the years. Um, and in fact, I was well into this and been talking about it for years. And one of my adult nieces said something completely offhand to her mom one time that showed she had synesthesia. So <laughs> I mean, we just, it just does not come up in conversation very often. And so I, I really, I, I, I would love to write books with a synesthetic main character. Um, and I, and I don't know that they'll end up being for young adults or for adults. I'm not sure, but, um, but I would love to, to do that justice. I, I would really, that would really make me happy. Yes, um, we did interview an an author last year, Estelle Ryan, and she's written a, a mystery series around a protagonist called Genevieve Leonard, who's an art fraud investigator who's on the autism spectrum. And it, and it gave the stories a really interesting extra depth. Yeah. And part- yeah, because it's so exciting characters, very interesting characters. Yeah. And it does give her an edge in terms of her investigative powers. You know, it does give mm-hmm. her, as you say, that extra magic sort of uh, ability. Yeah. 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 Right. Look, turning to your wider career, tell us a little bit about your life before you became a full-time writer. Well, it's pretty boring, actually. <laughs> I am the, I was the full-time mom of three perfect children who are now perfect adults. <laughs> Um, before that I worked in the claims department at a big insurance company before that I was in college before that was my attention seeking childhood. (laughs) (laughs) All of those things, of course, are perfect training for a life in crime fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wonder, is there one thing you've done more than any other that you'd see as being the secret of your success as a writer? Um, networking hands down by far the most important thing I've ever done. Every book deal I received, every blurb on a cover, every class I took, every review, um, getting my agent, teaching every workshop I've teached, connecting on BookBub with a podcaster in New Freaking Zealand, (laughs) all of this, everything um, was because of forming personal connections with other people, putting myself out there and welcoming others into my orbit. Um, in addition to being good for business, it's um, personally very rewarding, you know, um, because writing, you can write the perfect book, mm. but if nobody ever sees it, mm. what good is that? Mm-hmm. So, and you can write, you know, kind of a mediocre book, but because people love you and you have a lot of a lot of fans in your corner, um, you know, that's fine too. It, it, networking though, that is, if I could give any advice to any writer, it would be get good at networking. And, you know, networking, it's not, it's not scary. It's just talking to people. It's meeting people. It's having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you do that by going to conferences or? I go to a lot of conferences, yeah. I, uh I go to writers' conferences. I go to um, 
um, mystery book conventions like Left Coast Crime, Malice Domestic, BoucherCon, those kinds of things. I get to meet readers and hang out with other writers there. Um, I get to do panels at libraries or schools. I get to go to book signings. Um, I'm a member of a couple uh, organizations, Sisters in Crime. We started a Colorado chapter of Sisters in Crime here, oh, I want to say about three years ago. Yeah. And uh, and that's just women crime fiction writers. And we get together and, you know, we just have a ball. And you don't have to explain to people what you're doing. <laughs> you know, we talk about all the, mo- the, the most gruesome kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to explain why you're doing that, why you're talking about that, why why arson is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> the new and different ways to kill people. Let's talk about poison for a minute, you know. Um, so I have all kinds of uh, all kinds of um, uh, fun groups that I get to go to. Uh, my husband, you know, it's just me and my husband now. Um, and he he loves that I love writing, but he really, really, really doesn't understand it. He would he doesn't want to do it, that's for sure. Um, so if I didn't have my writer pals, I would go crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You also do quite a lot of workshops about around writing itself, don't you? And other things like time management that can feed into it. That's just obviously developed naturally from other things that have been happening, I guess, has it? Yeah, I do. I do quite a bit of teaching. I I enjoy doing that um, when I have time to do that. Um, Before I was published, I went to um, several big annual writers conferences here that we have in Colorado. And um, then I went there every year. I just loved them. I loved the people. I loved the topics. I loved, you know, learning and, and, uh, you know, feeling like I belonged to my tribe, you know, all that stuff. Um, And after a while, it felt like I wasn't quite a newbie anymore. And there were things that I could teach. Um, so the organizers kindly gave me a chance to be on the faculty and let me present a couple of workshops. And I did, uh, I did a fine job. Apparently people liked them. So they asked me to do some more and, um, it's great fun for me to do that and a way for me to give back to the writing community because people have taught me all kinds of stuff over the years, um, and continue to teach me stuff even now. So the least I could do was start returning the favor. Yeah. And the writing community, especially crime fiction, um, very generous and welcoming. It's a fabulous industry to be associated with. That sounds lovely. It's a, being in a smaller country, it's not quite so easy to have such access to. I mean, there are there are nice groups around, but it's not not quite on such a scale, obviously. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is hard to. Uh, to find those places sometimes, you know, but the big, the national organizations, you know, um, Sisters in Crime and Mystery Writers of America. I don't know. I don't know internationally because I'm from Colorado, (laughs) but, uh, but I know that uh, people who don't live near a a chapter where they can play meet with people, there's online things that they can do and that are just as fulfilling for them. So, so that's, you know, another way to go too. Yeah. Look, the series is called The Joys of Binge Reading because at the beginning I was really fascinated by this whole idea of people now binge reading and the way that they've got used to what to binge watching, that when they find mm-hmm. a writer, they like to follow through with everything that they've written and they can buy it online digitally at midnight if they if they so get the, the um, idea to do that. Do you like, do you binge read yourself and who do you like to binge read? 
I do. Um, I do like to go on binges. I like to, I love reading series and I, I'm so far behind on all my reading, um, on my, on my new releases, you know, especially from friends and stuff. So I get to start at the beginning and binge entire series, you know, yes. just like I do on Netflix. Yeah. My, yeah. my current binge is somebody who's been around forever Anne Cleves. Um, she writes the Vera series. Yes. Um, I binge that on Netflix too. I watch it and, uh, and I, uh, and I read it and I love being able to start at the beginning of a series, especially when I know it's a long running series. Mm -hmm. Um, because then you can, you know, you just, you just, it's like, you absolutely know these people. It's like you live in their neighborhood and stuff. So, um, so my current binge is Ann Cleves. Um, but I also binge on my friend's books. Um, I'll give you a, I wrote down a list of authors your listeners might not know. Oh, good. Gretchen Archer writes very funny books. Barbara Nicholas writes thrillers. Very, very good. Um, she, In fact, I'm reading one of Bar Barb's books now, and it almost makes me not want to write because she's so much better. I, you know, you, you read it and you think, well, she can write all the books. <laughs> Why do I have to do it? She's so good at it. <laughs> um, who else? Cynthia Kuhn writes very, uh, very funny um, academic mysteries. Libby Klein is hilarious. Margaret Mitsushima writes um, about a canine handler in the in the wilderness. Fascinating. Uh, Kathy Valente, uh, Kathleen Valente, um, she writes really. She's, she's fun. They're all great. Um, Leslie Karst, Ellen Byron. Gigi Pandian. Gigi writes about a gargoyle, which is just, it's ridiculous. And it's, but she makes it work. I don't know how she does it. Um, who else? Vicki Fee, Lisa Matthews, Marla Cooper, Kelly Garrett, Leslie Budowitz, Jess Lowry, Edith Maxwell, and Diane Valer, who I know has already, has been on your show before. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's just, oh my gosh, there's just so many more. So oh, many well, more. Fantastic. And that so many great so many mysteries come out every single day. I mean, you just cannot keep up. No, but I right. will say if, if your listeners want to subscribe to my newsletter or join my Facebook group, I talk about new writers all the time because, you know, I only have my own stuff come out every so often, Yeah. but yeah. my friends have books coming out constantly. So I'm able to give some of those away and, you know, um, share when they have sales on, on uh, Amazon and stuff. So Oh, that's fabulous. So that's what we do at my, that's what I do a lot of on at my newsletter and on my, in my Facebook group, which I just started, by the way, they could be inaugural members of my Facebook group. It's called <laughs> Becky's Book Buddies. Oh, that's great. We'll, we'll, we'll have all of that in the show notes and we'll put links to all of those writers in the show notes as well. So okay. we're coming to the end of our time together. So if we look back over your writing life at this stage, if you were doing it all again, would you make any changes to the decisions you've made in the past? You know, I don't think I would. I think the only thing I might change would be to start sooner. But then maybe I wouldn't have been ready. So who mm -hmm. knows? Mm -hmm. That's a perennial one that comes up quite often when I ask that question with writers. They say, I wish I'd started 10 years earlier. And then they say, but I don't know as I had the experience to do it then. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's just a human question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
So what is next for Becky, the writer? Um, are you a big goal setter and have you got a big program ahead of you that you're hoping to fulfill this year? Well, I love nothing better than an empty calorie. Ca- calorie. <laughs> I do love empty calories. That's wishful thinking. <laughs> Donuts are my favorite. But what I also love are empty calendars and colored markers to fill in. Um, I love organizing and scheduling out my year and stuff like that. Um, I have a new series, I mean, very new that I can't quite talk about yet, but it's going to be for three books again, cozy mysteries with a lot of humor. Um, and they're going to want those out every six or nine months, which will be fun. A real challenge. I have another series proposal uh, for some cozies that I'm getting ready to send to my agent to shop those around. And I have a nonfiction project I need to get done before like September. So I have a lot in my pipeline, but um, I'm pretty disciplined. You know, I, I'm, I do time management workshops. <laughs> so I do, uh, I, I'm pretty self, I'm pretty disciplined. I, you know, I'm lucky enough that this is my day job. And um, so I have plenty of time to um, get done what needs to be done without too much effort in the, in the other part of my world. Nothing else really suffers because I'm writing. So that's lucky for me. You have I love having, I love having stuff to, I love having so much stuff going on because that is um, energizing, I think. Yeah. 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 You've mentioned about your new Facebook group. Now, you'd like interacting with readers. Where can they find you online? Just let's recap on that. Oh, gosh. Um, I love talking to readers. Without readers, I would just be typing words into the void. It <laughs> 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 would just be disappearing. Um, uh, my website, BeckyClarkBooks.com. Uh, you can get to know me. I have a blog on there where I talk about all kinds of fun and interesting. I think they're fun and interesting things. <laughs> Um, uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter from my, um, from my website to find out if I'm doing anything interesting near you. Um, like I said, I have my closed group on Facebook. Um, I have, uh, I'm on Amazon. I'm on Goodreads. I'm at BookBub. Uh, I don't tweet, so don't look for me there because I don't understand Twitter at all, but I'm good at Facebook. So good. We'll look for you there, Becky. That sounds wonderful. Look, thank you so much for your time. It's been a total joy to talk to you. And um, I can recommend your books. They are a really good laugh. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thanks so much for saying that. And thanks for having me on today. This is so exciting. My first podcast and I didn't, you know, do anything embarrassing. I'm so glad you can't, uh, can't see me though, because I'm in desperate need of a haircut. I probably have spinach stuck in my teeth. (laughs) Oh, and I'm wearing a, a jacket that's probably more dog hair than fabric. So but I you, like podcasts better than videos. <laughs> but you, and your doggy didn't bark once. <laughs> she didn't bark once. She didn't even move. I'm looking at her right now. She barely lifts her head up. That's great. That's wonderful, dear. <laughs> Look, thank you so much. And uh, okay. have a good rest of the day. Thanks. You too, Jenny. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. 
The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.